This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. So it depends on when you get someone with sepsis, at what stage, um, uh, what expression you are going to get, and this is what we usually grapple with. So I wouldn't go through this entire thing, but what, what the point uh, um, uh, I'd like to make is that when we have a child with sepsis, we do not want to get them at this end of the spectrum with multi-organ failure where it's very obvious. We would like to be upstream here where there is a local infection or uh, signs and symptoms that are quite subtle. Uh, because in many cases in the world, there are no ICUs um, with a lot of resources, and all that is available is simple treatment, some oxygen, antibiotics, some fluid, uh, maybe some minimal um, respiratory support. The other issue with children is that, this is a study from um, uh, Kenya, that shows that most of the death from those children who are bacteremic, they come very early within the first day, almost 75%. So therefore, if you are going to make a difference in their lives, you've got to make a diagnosis again, as I said, very early and go upstream. The problem is that many of the children arrive later on when it's obvious and when treatment uh, does not make um, many much of a difference. And the setting that uh, the context in which many of these children present are large crowded waiting areas. They compete with adults for care. Uh, there's a lot of um, um, young kids, as you can see. And the point is that again, that in those situations, we have to be able to pick up the children with sepsis very early. In many cases, what we fail is we fail with having good triage mechanisms to identify those who are um, ill in need. And then there are vulnerable populations. The children who present uh, unimmunized with meningitis, malnutrition, post-operative uh, patients, and the issue of zoonosis, uh, being in, um, animals being in close uh, proximity to these children, also put them at risk. So in areas in which the, uh, there, are not, there are no diagnostic tests and uh, no sophisticated laboratory, and as we heard, many of the diagnostic tests do not really help us very early on, one of the area, uh, one of the ways of grappling with uh, management of children's sepsis is the syndromic management. And this is again work from Kenya, where what they were trying to do is identify children who were critically ill in need of early antibiotic therapy, and they were using observable criteria, things they can observe with minimal or no laboratory tests. And what they did in the study of looking at about uh, almost 12,000 children, they were able to identify 6, 000, about 6,000 children um, who, in their estimation, uh, fit the criteria, okay, a case finding for syndromic sepsis. And what they found from that group is that 12% died with a sensitivity to predict uh, 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 death was 93%. The rest, only 1% died, so the negative predictive value was 99%. So the usefulness of this is can be used in a resource-limited environment, but it identified not only those who were 
uh, uh, children who are septic, but most of the children who are critically ill in, the, in those areas. And indeed, in many of those areas, most of the children who are critically ill has some form of infection. So syndromic sepsis is one way that it has, has been used to diagnose. In North America, this is the Society of Critical Care Medicine guideline that we've just uh, updated recently again. We spoke about recognizing decreased mental status and perfusion as um, the underlying marker of someone who is in severe sepsis. But I think that that's, this uh, um, gives us the idea of only when we go downstream and they're very severe sepsis. Again, I think we have to go upstream. The issue we face, I think, uh, and I said uh, the first slide, what is sepsis? We said it's, uh, it's a time sort of sensitive issue. It depends on the signs and symptoms of different areas. What we have is myocardial depression. We have endothelial dysfunction and thrombosis and bleeding. And the relative contributions of each one of these in early sepsis varies. The ultimate final sort of common pathway is failure of organ perfusion. But if we look at the contributors to this uh, pattern, we have dengue, cholera, gastroenteritis, malaria, bacterial sepsis, mixed infections, uh, uh, superimposed on anemia and malnutrition. They all play into this, um, in this um, triumvirate. And if we look at, say, malaria, one can see that anemia may be a major contributor. There is some endothelial dysfunction and capillary leak and mitochondrial dysfunction and acidosis. And hence, the recognition and treatment uh, is slightly different from this sort of situation where this is dengue fever, where capillary leak, endothelial leak, and hypovolemia is a major contributor. Uh, myocardial depression is less. Now, so how do we diagnose sepsis? And in this talk, I'm just going to concentrate on um, the SIRS criteria, physical examination, and lactate level, because I'm saying that in most instances where we are asked these questions, it's limited resources. So we look at the SIRS criteria in diagnosing sepsis. We know what the SIRS criteria is. In children, it is slightly modified, where we have at least two of the following, and um, we say one of which must be abnormal temperature or leukocyte count. The fact is that in many parts of the world now, and we are doing some studies in Uganda that are showing that if you choose temperature and heart rate and respiratory rate only, tachycardia and tachypnea, uh, without a leukocyte count, the sensitivity um, um, does not really change much needed as a specificity. And in areas in which leukocyte count is difficult to get, it is problematic. You heard from uh, Conrad that even leukocyte count may not help, and we've found some of the similar data in children, which I'll come to. So, you look at SIRS and neonates, and there's um, this uh, recent um, study looking at uh, 13 neonates with early onset sepsis, only 53% fulfilled SIRS criteria. So again, it's not very uh, useful. And in resource-limited settings, as I said, no laboratory tests, complex organ dysfunction, and core temperature measurement precludes the use of SIRS to help us identify or um, point out sepsis. And this is a point prevalence study of SIRS in hospitalized children. Um, in this study, the, the issue with this, um, with SIRS criteria, this is from Latvia, um, there are two time periods they looked at children with 943 children uh, that came into the hospital, 
Children with fever were 92, with SIRS 66, and very few came out with having sepsis. What it uh, showed me, um, and the issue that we're grappling with in my own institution and several institutions across North America, is the fact that the SIRS criteria uh, screens we screen a large body of uh, children in the emergency department. We may screen thousands of children with very little yield. And to some extent, the staff gets very um, sort of complacent after a period of time. So SIRS may not help us. This is a study we just completed um, um, in China, 11 regional hospitals serving uh, eight, over 800,000 children. And we looked at uh, 1,606 white cells criteria, so sepsis or severe sepsis. The worrisome thing is that there is a group of patients, we had 79 with no cells, but they end up with having severe sepsis and died. So uh, we thought the international guidelines or the international cells criteria, um, it's, it's troublesome and I, I, I'm glad, well, I'm glad I'm, um, my, I was, um, it was good to hear today that it's, it's prob uh, troublesome even in adults. You heard about Roy Stewart, I wouldn't tell you much more, uh, Conrad mentioned it already, but this is uh, part of the issue, the troublesome issue, because they did a sepsis screening on Rory, but the adult criteria were used, and even with this, adult criteria where the respiratory greater than 20 and heart rate greater than 90, those are most kids. So in this hospital, if they were um, using this to screen kids, it would be quite useless. But at the end of the day, they missed his white count was high, his sex was high, and um, they, they missed um, the diagnosis. And I think part of the problem is that we know what, uh, um, what screening should be, but again, people get complacent with it. Well, physical exam, we talk about capillary refill and there are several issues uh, with capillary refill. Um, how to do it properly is an issue that even pediatrics, many people don't. So it's not surprising when you look at even shock, when a child comes in, in a shock that is very obvious, this is 100 consecutive children in a ward in Kenya, the train and clinical recognition of signs. But you can see the inter-observer variability, moderate variability, temperature gradient. Um, uh, they found it reasonable, but capillary refill, weak pulse, etc. You can see it's not uh, very. Um, it gives you great um, comfort that um, the trainees and everyone will recognize um, uh, those signs. Lactate levels, I won't say much. This is a recent study, again, in the emergency department, looking at lactate levels and inclusion criteria in those with SIRS. And the lactate level of greater than four was able to predict those who were going to get organ dysfunction, those sort of things, uh, those who were going to have a positive blood culture, those who were going to get ICU admission. But again, uh, the overwhelming evidence says that it is not very helpful in early sepsis, and neither is it available in many parts of the world that um, these children are. So let us look at a few of the different ways um, it's used to recognize sepsis. And this is the UK. Uh, they said um, pediatric sepsis six, what needs to be done? They say look at the core temperature, high or low temperature, tachycardia, altered mental status, or reduced peripheral perfusion. That is their signs and symptoms of recognition. This is one from Texas, and again, you can see um, there are some high-risk patients um, uh, with uh, 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 oncological emergencies, dyspnea, etc. 
But beyond that, it's very similar criteria looking at the abnormal um, pulse respiratory rate and heart rate um, and um, following, um, uh, following these patients. This again is not one from Utah. Again, heart rate, respiratory rate, pulses, central capillary refill. And another one from um, uh, Boston Children's recognize altered mental status and poor perfusion. Doesn't really help us much. And as Conrad said, there is nothing specific that you can lay eyes on, as, as he pointed out, in cardiovascular disease, such as myocardial infarction. We have problems with uh, science. Medicine Science Frontiers, they looked at capillary refill again, fast pulse, school peripheries. And this is a, a, a project that we are doing in Bangladesh. Again, you can see not feeding well, feel feverish, poor feeding, feeble cry, drowsy, etc., for children um, and uh, newborns with sepsis. That's, so we have suspicion in the community, and we have a case finding form, which again incorporates hypothermia, hypothermia, convulsions, etc. With the neonates, we put hypothermia as, a, as one of the signs. In the older children, because so many children there are there with fever, we thought that would be overwhelm the medical system. So it's not really a very, um, how would I say, it's a very um, ideal sort of uh, situation, but the fact is that under the circumstances in which these children present is the best that we can do. Now, um, ultimately, I think that you've been hearing some of the other um, exciting new developments. I think ultimately integration of clinical laboratory and laboratory data, metabolomic, genomic, and proteinomic has um, um, some sort of, um, I would say, um, potential and I think would be of great benefit in the future. But at the end of the day, as we heard, it's the clinical signs and symptoms that I've just mentioned. So that's it. I'd like to thank you very much for your time. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org. Thank you.